State. Uh, he's also been the ACC or the AOG State Vice President, State Secretary, um, uh, Executive Member, uh, Pastor of the Heights Church, and many, many other things that he has done over his career as a pastor. So he's a very uh, experienced and uh, gifted man of God. Also a great preacher. So I learned a lot of things from sitting in a, a pastor's lesson one day when I did my PMC training. And uh, it, it really did help me a lot to, to uh, I guess, know where I was going wrong up until then. So... <laughs> Uh, it was really good. So I hope, hopefully today some of that stuff will uh, be transposed onto all of us again this morning. But I do have some announcements for us. Uh, the National Conference is coming up in, is it the last week of April and the first week of May? Uh, so I think it's the 30th of April to the 2nd of May on the Gold Coast. Uh, if you haven't made a decision to go, then you can look that up and make sure that uh, if you can go, go, because it's going to be a, a very important conference for our movement. So I encourage you about that one. We've got the Dungari Conference um, at Kadena on the 13th of April. That's uh, Aboriginal Ministries. We have the, the national leader of the ACC Aboriginal Ministries coming to South Australia to Kadena on that day. It's a Saturday, the 13th of April. Uh, I have some flyers on the back table there for that, so you can grab one of those if you're interested. Um, that's going to be a great day. It's at Engage Church Kadena on that weekend. Then we have our Emeritus Pastors, uh, 1st of April uh, at Impact Church Barossa. Again, I've got some flyers on, the back, on that back table out there if you want to grab those. And that's all the announcements for us. So it is now my great honour. I'll just better get this microphone ready. Just to introduce our guest for this morning, I want us to just uh, put our hands together for Pastor Jeremy as he comes and shares a word for us. Good morning. Uh, we are delighted to be here in Port Lincoln. How, how nice to see you, Don. You, you look the same through the years. It doesn't change. So uh, we are glad to, hear, to be here. I think the last time we were in Port Lincoln was for Andrea Langmaid's wedding. So that was in, what, 1942 or something. So, so we are glad to be here. Uh, you're going to be uh, listening this morning to a, an aged pensioner because... Last year, we, we resigned from pastoral ministry. And so somebody said to me, well, you're retired now. I said, no, uh, I've we have retired from pastoring a church. Uh, well, what are you doing? Well, we are doing this. Uh, and we are training people how to preach. And we are writing and we are traveling. And so uh, we intend to be uh, busier than ever before. And nice to see you guys. I do remember preaching a couple of times in Kimber. So the good news is I've written a new sermon since then, so, <laughs> so you're going to be right. Um, we have two sessions. So what I thought we would do, first of all, is for just a, a little inspirational devotional that will get you used to my voice. Is that Okay. And then uh, in the second session, I want to talk about what happens when you are stuck. Uh, they, they <coughs> children's car seats are not adult friendly. One, it's difficult to get them in and secure. 
And secondly, when you've worked out how to secure your grandchild, that's the easy part. Getting them out is the difficult part. So I remember one day pulling all the, you know, pressing all the buttons, and, and it seemed that all the straps were loose, and so I just pulled. And uh, little Elizabeth said to me, stuck, granddad, stuck. Well, <clears throat> pull harder. <laughs> uh, stuck, granddad, stuck. And I thought to myself, uh, it's very easy in life to get stuck. Very easy to get stuck in marriage in your career and in ministry. And so I want to talk in the second session about how you can move from where you may be stuck to where you can be experiencing the blessing of God. So uh, I'm going to talk first of all from John chapter 2. The the Gospel of John is unique. Uh, It is different. I, I need to tell you that tonight Uh, at 7 o'clock, I think it's at 7 o'clock, we're doing uh, two sessions on how to be a better preacher. And uh, I've just come, yesterday I did this at LifePoint in Adelaide, and then uh, two weeks ago I did it four times in the Philippines. So I'm I'm practiced at this, so so it will actually transform your life. So I'm... So I want to encourage you, it doesn't matter where you are, you know, stay for the day, Don. You know, he'll take you out fishing or maybe he'd like you to play golf or or whatever. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock. Great. Uh, John's Gospel is unique. Matthew, Mark and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels. We know that. They follow a very similar storyline. But John wrote his AD 90 like 60 years after Jesus has gone to heaven, and he writes a unique gospel. We meet some unique people only in John. It's only in John we meet the woman at the well who uh, asked, was asked by Jesus, can I have a drink? And he replied, what's going on? She replied, what's going on? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, we don't even talk, let alone you ask of me for a drink. And Jesus replied, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for living water because this water can never quench your thirst. She said, where's your bucket? Oh, he said, you know, this water can never satisfy, but the water that I can give you will be in you, a spring of living water. Only in John's gospel do we meet Nicodemus. As polite as Jesus was to the woman, he was blunt with Nicodemus. You know, Nicodemus, he says, comes at night, he said, we know you come from God because only God can do the things you do. And Jesus said, you must be born again. It's only in John's gospel do we read of the blind man that Jesus spat on, did I say Luke's gospel? Only in John's gospel do we meet the blind man when Jesus spat on the ground, made some mud, put it on his eyes, and said, go wash in the pool of uh, Siloam. And uh, as he went, God healed him. Uh, He got into serious trouble. Nobody would believe that a man born blind could be healed. And so uh, they called his parents, and they, they said, well, he's old enough, you ask him. And they started interrogating him. Are you sure you were blind? And he said, look, all I know is this. Once I was blind, now I can see, and Jesus did it. What a fantastic testimony. 
Uh, uh, John's Gospel also includes some unique sayings that we only find in John's Gospel. Uh, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. Only found in John's Gospel. In John's Gospel, there are some unique miracles. The man at the pool who had been there for 38 years, paralyzed, you know, hoping some legend that, that if, you know, the water got stirred and he could be first in, as if God rewards the first. Because in the kingdom, the first is last. <laughs> and the last will be first. And uh, Jesus said, do you want to be well? And he said, I haven't got any. Nobody's here to help me. And standing right in front of him is the help of the world and the hope of the world. Only in John's Gospel do we read of Lazarus. Uh, he wasn't dead four minutes, four hours. He wasn't resuscitated, revived. They didn't do some CPR on him. He'd been dead for four days. And uh, Jesus says, you know, Lazarus, I'm calling your name. And a wonderful story. Matthew, Mark, and Luke begin their Gospels with power encounters. Matthew, Mark, and Luke begin in the temple with Jesus having a confrontation with the devil and casting out demons out of a, a man that was possessed. John's Gospel doesn't begin that way. John's Gospel begins at a wedding, not in a temple, but in a home. Not in a confrontation with the devil, but in an act of kindness and grace. And that's the Jesus we serve. Yes, he defeats the devil. Yes, he brings healing. Yes, he does wonderful things. But also, he shows incredible kindness and love when the wine runs out at the wedding. So, uh, are you getting used to my voice? Can you understand my English? Is, is this okay? Is this clear enough? Because I can't speak in Tagalog. I'm, I'm sorry. I actually can. I know a number of Filipino words. Would you like me to practice on you? Coca-Cola, Toyota, <laughs> Manchester United, um, who, who are not very good at all, and um, Jolly B, Chow King. I know a lot of Filipino words. The turning of the water to wine is a prophetic miracle because it prophesies the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, because the wine is a picture of the Spirit of God, and here is Jesus taking the natural, making it supernatural, taking the average and making it superb, and the Holy Spirit in our lives is exactly that. And it's abundant. I'll talk more about that in a few moments. But, but it's prophetic. It is also prophetic in that when Jesus returns, He's coming for his bride. And our destiny is actually a wedding. You know, if you look forward to the future and you think, oh, dear me, we've got global warming, we've got Trump in the White House, we've got Putin in the Kremlin, and, you know, all these bad sort of things happening, i got some news for you. God is in control. And our destiny <laughs> is not tribulation. Our destiny is not doom and gloom. Our destiny is a wedding. Hallelujah. Now, you need to know that, that some people preach from John chapter 2 and use it as an argument why we should not drink alcohol. I've also heard people preach from John chapter 2 as reasons why we should drink alcohol. And the truth is this. 
John chapter 2 has nothing to do with alcohol. And it's always not to our advantage when we take a preconceived idea and try to find it in the Bible. Or we take a preconceived idea and make the Bible fit our ideas. What we should do is just read the Bible for what it is. And here is an act of kindness. Here's an act of grace. Here is a miracle that shows his glory. And it has nothing to do with the, the type of wine that Jesus turned the water into. So here we go. This is John chapter 2 and verse 1. And it says this, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Uh, please leave that on the board. I'm going to talk about each verse individually, so just leave it there. In the culture of Jesus' day, a wedding celebration would last for seven days. It would go from Wednesday to Wednesday. The bride and groom, the bride would, sorry, the groom would prepare his home, go get his wife-to-be, bring her to his house. This is an incredible picture of what Jesus is doing right now. Uh, he's in heaven doing what? I go to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come again and, and take you to myself. Now, they didn't go on honeymoon. It's not like, you know, that they've got... Uh, the reef resort at Honolulu, Waikiki Beach, uh, you know, booked. They actually go home, and then for seven days they have open house, and the whole village or town are invited. I remember saying to an Indian man in our church in Adelaide who'd returned from India after an engagement party, I said, Anthony, how many people were at the, at the party? 6,000. <laughs> Excuse me. He said, our culture is that we invite everybody in the village. Now, they don't all come at once. But for the next seven days, people would come and the host would provide food to eat. Uh, now, look what it says. Jesus' mother was there. Now, this implies that she just wasn't one of the crowd that came. It implies that she doesn't what she wasn't because she didn't live in Cana. So it could well be that she is a relative or a friend of the couple that are getting married. Because when the wine runs out, she takes responsibility. So that there must be some sort of connection between Mary and, uh, and the uh, couple that were getting married. Now, her husband, Joseph, is not mentioned. So we presume then that uh, he's passed away. Jesus is now the eldest son. And because he's the eldest son, he would be invited along with his mother. Uh, and if you look at verse 2, it says Jesus and his disciples were there. By then, we know the name of six of them. Uh, the first disciple was Andrew, and the first thing he did was find his brother Peter. A second disciple was John. John introduced his brother James. And then there was a guy called uh, Philip, who Jesus called and Philip said, this is so good, i got to tell my mate Nathaniel. And he said, Nathaniel, we found him. Oh, who have you found? We found the Christ. Jesus of Nazareth. And what did Nathaniel say? You have got to be joking. <laughs> Kimber, what good can come from Kimber? <laughs> i got some news for you. You've got to love the place where you live. And Philip is unashamed. He's unashamed of Jesus, and he's unashamed of Galilee, Nazareth. 
And so uh, we know the names of six of the disciples. So here is Jesus. And this again infers that uh, Jesus is somehow connected, maybe uh, friends or maybe even distant family. And with him comes his disciples. Verse 3. When the wine was gone, everybody go, oh no. Oh no. This was a disaster. There is a Jewish proverb that says, where there is no wine, there is no joy. Now, drunkenness was discouraged by the Jews. They drank wine for the same reason why we drink bottled water. It's, I mean, you can drink tap water in Australia. Adelaide water, yeah, it's so-so, it's isn't it? When, when we first came to Adelaide, it would give us a serious dose of the runs when we drank. Anybody know? You, you're telling the truth, Jeremy. But in those days, water from the well, well, not from the well, but water from the stream could kill you. There'd be bugs. You know, the sheep upstream are, are, are uh, drinking and doing other things and the cattle. And so don't drink the water. It may kill you. So what do you do? You drink wine. It wasn't fortified wine. It was quite weak. But it was safe. The alcohol would kill any bugs. Uh, so at a wedding, seven-day celebration, thousands of people are coming, and somewhere during the celebration, the wine runs out. Now, put yourself in the shoes of the bride. She's thinking, dear me, this is going to be on Facebook. Somebody is going to take a picture that they're going to have a little video of the empty containers and the world is going to laugh at the wedding where they ran out of, of wine. You know, hundreds have come, but there are still hundreds to come. This is so embarrassing. Jesus' mother, and this is why I think maybe there's a relationship between the, the couple and her, she now takes responsibility. And she says to Jesus, they have no more wine. What do you do when the wine runs out? Well, you go to Jesus. What do you do when your money runs out? You go to Jesus. What do you do when you lose your job? You go to Jesus. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You go to Jesus. What do you do when you're faced with impossibility? You go to Jesus. What do you do when you're running on empty? You go to Jesus. Who do you turn to when you don't know who to turn to? to, turn to? You go to Jesus. Now, Mary goes to Jesus, maybe because he's the eldest son. But I actually think she is aware that there is a calling on his life. And she's really saying, I, I know who you are. I haven't seen any miracles, but I know who you are. Can you do something in this situation? Verse 4, this is what it says. And uh, it sounds brusque. It sounds almost rude. Woman, why do you involve me? It's not like that at all. Uh, the Greek word actually means dear lady. So he's not being impolite. He's not being harsh. It's not a harsh word. And Jesus says there is a problem. The problem is this. This is not the place. And this is not the time. Oh, the time is coming, but it's not yet. Verse 5, Mary speaks to the servants, and she says, don't take your eyes off him. 
she says to them, do whatever he tells you to do. <laughs> this is one of the most powerful statements in the New Testament. If you want to know the will of God, that's the key. If you want to find a successful life, that's the agenda. Mary is not taking no for an answer. And she gives the uh, servants, she gives them four commands. She says, first of all, do. You need to get ready, because I don't know what's going to happen, but he's going to say something, and whatever he says, you do it. You've got to get involved. God does not want us to sit on our hands. He wants us to get off the bench and into the game. Do. Do whatever. I don't know what's going to happen. You just need to get ready for something new. You need to get ready for something different. I'm not sure what's going to happen. Just get ready for the whatever. Here's the good news. God wants to do something in your church. He wants to do the whatever. Uh, don't, don't look to copy. Don't look to imitate. what. I, now, we can learn and adopt and adapt, but God's got a whatever for your church. Uh, do whatever he tells. The spoken word of Jesus produces faith in our hearts. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And when Jesus, let me tell you, Genesis 1, when Jesus spoke, when the, when the Son of God, when God the Son, when the word of God spoke, things that didn't exist came into existence. Do whatever he tells, he speaks. Oh God, anoint my ears. You want to be a good preacher? Before you can ever speak for God, you have to listen to God. If you're not good at hearing God, you'll never be able to speak for God. Do whatever he tells you to do. Don't focus on anybody else. Don't copy another. Don't clone yourself. Focus on Jesus. Don't take your eyes off him. Do whatever he says. This is great advice for us. You want to know the will of God? You want to know the agenda for your church? Do whatever he tells you to do. Do you want to experience miracles? Do whatever he tells you to do. Verse 6. Now nearby, there were six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Now, for those of you that don't know, gallons is an imperial measure. Yeah, I remember, you know, six gallons might fill your tank. So, so what's a gallon? I think it's about 4.5 liters. Is that right? Uh, pretty close. So uh, 20 gallons times 4.5, that is about 100 liters. Is, is that right? Uh, so 20 to 30. So this is between 100 and 140 liters, uh, each container. And there were six of them. Let me explain to you that the Jews were fastidious about washing their hands. So you're going to have a meal. The first thing you do is you wash your hands. If you were offered a drink, after taking that drink, you would wash your hands. If they were passing around hors d'oeuvres, after you've had one or two, you would have to wash your hands. When you sat down for the entree, before that you'd have to wash your hands. Uh, before the soup was served, you'd have to wash your hands again. And so maybe in a meal, they would wash their hands six, seven, eight times. And um, that's why they had six containers, very large, with so much uh, um, water in them. Verse 7, 
Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Whenever the Bible uh, uses repetition, it's important. Uh, so in this verse, uh, we've got the word fill twice. What does the word fill mean? It means right to the very top. It means so full that you actually get a meniscus. Remember that from physics when you had maybe a cup or a little tube, you know, glass tube, and you filled it up and you get a little like round thing at the top. So much so that one drop more, it would overflow. So it says, fill them to the very top. And so they filled them to the top, to the brim. So in this verse, three times, these vessels were absolutely filled with water. Filled to the brim. Not even one drop could be added. Nothing more could be included. Room for nothing else. So when the Bible says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, it means room for nothing else in our lives. The pots might have been empty, they might have been half empty, we don't know, but now they are full. Verse 8, Jesus tells them, now, draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. Draw out some of the water. So they did so. Verse 9, the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. So somewhere between the drawing out and the serving to the master of the banquet, the miracle took place. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants that had drawn the water knew. Here is Jesus announcing his ministry on the earth. He's doing it in a wedding in a home. And the first witnesses were not religious leaders, they were servants. Isn't that interesting? Let's go back to Bethlehem. Who were the first people to hear the news that the Savior had been born? Was it the religious leaders in Jerusalem? Was it the synagogue leader? No, it was shepherds. Because Jesus has come for the world. He's come for people. And he doesn't, he doesn't, VIP is not in God's dictionary. It's not in the language of heaven. Here is Jesus showing servants that he's the Lord. Here are the angels announcing to shepherds that the king has been born. Well, the master of the bridegroom, called the bridegroom aside, verse 12, 11, uh, verse 10, sorry. And he said, everybody brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after everybody's had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Here's the good news. Your life's going forward, not backward. I got some news for you. The best is yet to come. Uh, I got some news for you that uh, thank God for all that Wyal has experienced. But the future is better than the past. And the master of the ceremony says, hey, this is amazing. You've saved the best till last. Verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs. The word means signposts. The miracles in John's gospel are signposts to what? To things that revealed his glory and the disciples believed in him. So uh, maybe you could go back to the verse, uh, verse 5 and just leave that on the, on the projector. 
What do you do when the wine runs out? What do you do when uh, you don't know what to do? Where do you go with your problem? Uh, every one of us in this room needs a miracle of some kind. Maybe you need a physical miracle. Well, where do you go? You go to Jesus. Maybe you have a financial challenge in your life. Well, he is our supply for all things. Maybe you're experiencing personal problems. Maybe depression is lurking in your mind. I want to encourage you that Jesus is the healer of every sickness. And whether it's physical, financial, marriage and family or personal, maybe you have come to the end of your road and your wine has run out. I want to say to you that Jesus still turns water to wine. He still turns weakness to strength. He still turns our problem into answers. And so let me talk to you about that. And in particular, the power of faith. On the surface, the answer of Jesus to Mary, what's the problem got to do with me? It's not my time. In response, Mary persists and says to the servants, do whatever he says. This is an incredible statement of faith. It's an embarrassing problem. They've run out of resources. There's no answer in the natural. Uh, they need a huge volume. Somebody needs to take a truck down to Woolies, you know, and bring back, you know, something like 700 bottles of wine. They will need a forklift to put it on the back of the truck. There is no answer. She knows that Jesus is the answer, but he appears reluctant. How many times have we prayed and it seems that God is reluctant to answer? But Mary appears to ignore the statement that Jesus made. It's not the place, it's not the time. And within his hearing and within the hearing of the disciples, she says to the servants, do whatever he says. Here's the truth. The need may be great, but Jesus is the answer. Maybe you can't see the way ahead, but Jesus is the answer. It may seem that God hasn't heard your prayer, but Jesus is the answer. You may think to yourself, this isn't the time, but Jesus is the answer. This is strong faith, Mary. And faith always gets God's attention. When the Canaanite woman, a Gentile, whose daughter was badly demonized, came to Jesus, she begged him, would you do something for my daughter? And he ignored her. She then goes to the disciples and she makes the request, will you tell your master, please? And she did this persistently so that they went to Jesus and said, this woman is driving us mad. This is what Jesus said in her hearing. It's not right to give the children's bread to dogs. The dog word there means scavenger dogs, street dogs. Uh, I haven't come. I've come for Israel. This lady's a Gentile. You know, she is a Gentile dog, and I'm not going to give the children's bread to scavengers. The woman heard him, and this is what she said. She said, it's true, I'm a Gentile dog, but the puppies get the crumbs from the table. Surely, in all your kindness and your goodness, 
there are some crumbs for me and my daughter. Jesus said, I have never seen such faith in Israel because faith gets God's attention. Do you remember the guy that came at midnight? The friend who came at midnight. I don't have any friends that come at midnight because if they knock on my door at midnight, they're not my friend. I mean, it's quite ter- it'd be quite terrifying, wouldn't it? You know, you have secured the house. They lived in houses, there'd be courtyards, there'd be a, a, a high wall and a strong gate. And the gate is locked. That's what the man says who lived in the house. And somebody is banging on the gate. I need some bread. A reasonable request. I've had some visitors. I've got no food. It's a reasonable thing. Can you help me? But it was an unreasonable time. Because the guy inside said, don't wake the kids. They are in bed with me. Oh, been there, done that. <laughs> Anybody ever had the kids in bed with you? You know, don't wake them up, whatever you do, don't wake them up. And don't wake the wife, whatever you do. You know, it, it, but the guy keeps on knocking. He has no shame, he has no fear. He shows what, what the King James uses the word importunity, which is shamelessness. He just keeps on asking. You know, this is the incredible tenacity to faith. And faith gets God's attention. The woman had been sick for 12 years. And uh, she had a condition that the doctors couldn't cure. In fact, she had spent all her money on doctors. You know, when you lose your health, it's not very long before you lose your wealth. But the doctors hadn't helped. She'd actually got worse. And she shouldn't be in the crowd. She was ceremonially unclean. Socially, she was not allowed. She should be at home. But she said, if I can touch even the hem of his garment, I will be well. And so she pushes her way. Maybe she's crawling, you know, but whatever it is, nothing's going to stop her until finally she reaches out and touches him and immediately knows she's well. Wow, that's the power of Jesus. And Jesus immediately knows that somebody has drawn faith from him and life. So he stops and he says, somebody touch me. The disciple says, there are dozens of people touching you. They're rubbing shoulders, they're jostling you. You know, in the last 30 seconds, maybe 20 different people have touched you. Oh, it is, there is a difference between rubbing shoulders with Jesus and touching him in faith. Many people come to our churches on Sunday and they're rubbing shoulders with Jesus. But if you want a miracle, you've got to reach out and touch him in faith. And so Jesus looks around and he sees her. He, he, he doesn't just see her, he sees her faith. And he says, daughter, be of good comfort. Your faith has made you whole. Faith gets God's attention. Whatever problem you have, whatever challenge you are facing, have faith in God because faith gets God's attention. You may have prayed before. Keep on praying. You may say, it's not my time. You know, it's somewhere in the future. Hey, keep on believing today. You may think, well, this is my lot. I've been dealt these cards in life. Nothing can change. But I want to say to you that if you have faith in God, Things will and can change. Faith always gets God's attention. 
From time to time, I put my hand on my chest and I say, Jeremy, have faith in God. I speak to my spirit and I say, Jeremy, have faith in God. Hey, have faith in God, Rob. Have faith in God. We can put our trust in all sorts of things. I've discovered that people let you down. <laughs> Is this true? <laughs> people let you down. Circumstances change. Promises are sometimes made by people that, you know, are never fulfilled. But have faith in God, and faith gets God's attention. But Mary, there's a problem. His time hasn't come. It's the future. In the future, he'll be able to do this. In the future, there'll be miracles. In the future, you know, there'll be healings. But, but right now, we are stuck in the middle of the not yet. Here we are in the present. The future has blessings. Here we are in the not yet. We know that the yes is to come. But faith says, get ready, do whatever he says, because faith takes the future promise and makes it mine in the present. Faith invades the future and drags back future blessings into the present. Oh, where's this in the Bible? We know that Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus, is our salvation. We are saved not by his words, not by his teaching. We're not saved by, you know, his ministry. We're saved because he shed his blood, was buried and resurrected. But on the cross... There is a thief next to him. And the thief says to him, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So Jesus said to the man, oh, it's not yet. I haven't died. You can't be saved. You've got to wait. I've got some news for you. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. And when the man called, Jesus stepped into a future blessing and brought salvation to that man. And he said, this day you will be with me in paradise. Faith steps into the future and brings it into the present. Do you remember Mary and Martha and the death of Lazarus? Why weren't you here, Jesus? If you'd have been here four days ago, he wouldn't have died. I think that was Mary. She had an historical Jesus. Jesus said to them, well, your brother will rise. Martha said, I know he will rise in the future. She's got this not yet. She's stuck in the not yet. What does Jesus say? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm not the God of lost opportunities, and I'm not the God of future blessing. I am the resurrection and the life. And he steps into the future, and he brings into the presence his resurrection power. And he says, Lazarus, you need to rise. That's what faith does. Faith sees future blessings and declares it's mine today. Christianity is a living faith. Now, we know that we're going to live forever in heaven. But we are empowered to live today in the here and now because a little bit of heaven is already in my heart and our hearts. We can experience heaven's blessings today. We don't get eternal life. We have eternal life today. 
because I am the resurrection life. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And whoever lives and believes in me, even though it yet shall he live. The same spirit that raised the dead body of Christ, the same spirit that will enable us to be resurrected in the future, is actually living in our mortal bodies and quickening us, making us alive today. Oh, there are future blessings to come, but faith says that blessing is mine today. Oh, Jeremy, where's this in the Bible? Well, the Bible says this, all the promises of God, even though they are so many, are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Oh, our future is fantastic. Please understand, there is a heaven. There is a city of God. You know, there will be a rapture and a resurrection. Oh, we've got a lot to look forward to. But the power of all of of that is ours today. And faith reaches into the future and says, it may be not your time, Jesus, but I'm not taking my eyes off you because you are able to do it today. Dogs chase tails. You seen a dog chasing his tail? I've never seen a dog catch it yet. <laughs> and many times people chase revival. You know, they're chasing. We're almost there. We're almost there. We're not there yet. We're almost there. Faith says, I'm, chased. I'm not chasing my tail anymore. We've got a living, breathing, victorious Savior who's alive today. We have a Holy Spirit who is being poured out in ever-increasing forms. But right here and today, there is no better day to be alive than this day. Thank God for the future. But here in this present, I'm going to do whatever he says, tells me to do. Because faith takes future blessings and makes them ours today. Oh, somebody should say, whoopee. If this was my microphone, I'd throw it up in the air. If I had a coat, I'd I'd wave it around my head. Faith. 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 Now, faith releases the miracle. There are so many wonderful, wonderful, um, wonderful things about this miracle. Number one, it was supernatural. I quite like watching magic shows on the television. You know, how do they do it? And if you think about it, every one of them is a trick. You know, suddenly over there, there's a flash of smoke. We all look over there, and something's happening over there that that looks like magic but isn't magic. Do you understand that? Jesus was not performing a magic trick. It was a miracle. It wasn't done in secret. It was actually done in the open. This is God supernaturally intervening in life. Never discount the God factor. It ain't over till it's over. If somebody says, oh, you'll need a miracle, well, you come to the right place because God's a miracle-working God, and he can do. This is Ephesians 3.20. He will do more than we can ask or think. You know, our problem is we ask too small and we think too small. When in actual fact, we have a supernatural God who will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. It was supernatural. It was abundant. 800 liters of wine, 66 cases. It's an amazing amount. You do need a forklift. 
It is a sufficient amount. It's enough for the whole town. It's an abundant amount because there would be stuff left over. And that's what God does. He provides all that we need and some more so that our cup overflows in the feeding of the 5,000. There are leftovers, 12 baskets full, a little boy's lunch. Everybody's feasted, and yet there is still an abundant supply. When the widow in Elisha's day in debt, what's in your house, the prophet says, a little container of oil. Oh, that's it. You need to borrow every container in the village, get them to your house, shut the door, and pour it out. And it poured and poured and it didn't stop flowing until every vessel was filled. She then sold the oil, paid her debts, and had more to live on. That's the God we serve. Oh, where's this in the Bible, Jeremy? My God will supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. It was supernatural, it was abundant, and it was the best. Simply the best. We should sing that. Is that a Hillsong song? Simply the best. Better than all the rest. That's Jesus. Better than anyone, anyone you've ever met. Was that, was that Darlene Chen? Sorry? No. Secular? No, 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 no. Definitely not. Tina Turner was obviously a Christian. The MC says, I've never tasted wine like this. Usually you serve the best first, you've slaved it the last. That's what God offers. He offers the best in life, the very best. And with God, things get better and better. Oh, where's that in the Bible? We go from glory to glory. We go from faith to faith. This is what it says in John 1, verse 16. From his fullness, we have all received one blessing after another, and the best is yet to come. We are saved by grace. The word grace, the word charis, appears more than 100 times in the Bible. Only about 20% of the times does it that it appears, it refers to salvation. 80% of the time, it refers to the empowering grace of God that enables us to live. <laughs> Isn't that good? By grace we've been saved, and by grace we are enabled to live for Jesus Christ. And life just gets better and better. His grace enables us. Therefore, the best days of my life are ahead of me. The best days of your church, of this church, is ahead of them. The best days of Wyala are yet to be. The best days of the harvest, you ain't seen nothing yet. They say that today 140,000 people will give their lives to Jesus Christ. Well, I got some news for you. There's going to be a greater harvest than that. God's global plans are yet to happen. The best days of the Spirit's outpouring are yet to be. We're not going down, we are going up. We're not clinging on to life, we're advancing. We're not declining, we're climbing the mountain. We're not dying out, we are multiplying. And what God brings into our lives is the top draw. Hallelujah. Praise God. Do 
whatever he tells you to do. Very much like what Paul said on the Damascus Road. Who are you, Lord? The answer must have terrified him. I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Everything you've been doing, you thought you were serving God, you've actually been fighting against me. Wow. Who are you? And Paul says, now I know who you are, what you want me to do. I'm 30 years of age, about that. I'm university trained. I've got a, I've got a, um, uh, I'm, a pre, you know, I'm, I'm a tradesman. I can speak several languages. I've been trained uh, under Gamaliel. I'm energetic and I've got a heart for God. What do you want me to do? God is still waiting for people to say, what do you want me to do? He still says to us, do whatever he tells you to do. And he's waiting for someone to say, here I am, Jesus. I'll do what you want me to do. Go where you want me to go. Now, I would like to go to the Wheat Sundays. In my retirement, I've seen the house we could buy. It's, it's really nice. If you loan me some money, we'll, we'll be right. Uh, but, but this is what I say to God. Here I am, Jesus. It's me. It's Jeremy. I'm 67. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go, whatever it is. And when you make that sort of prayer, the best is yet to come. So why don't we do exactly that? So put down whatever you've got in your hands, and I want you to put your hands in front of you. In fact, why don't we just stand before him right now? Do whatever he tells you to do. Get ready for action. Get ready for change. Get ready for new directions. Do whatever he tells you to do. Well, why don't you just pray this prayer? Here, it's me, Jesus. And tell him your name. It's me, Jesus. Speak it out. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. I'm ready for the whatever. I'm ready for the whenever. I'm ready for the wherever. What do you want me to do? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, Lord, take our water and turn it into wine. Take our weakness and turn it into strength. Turn our confusion into purpose. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Amen. Okay, I think we're going to take a 10-minute break. Is that the idea? Great. Oh, sit down for a moment, please. Uh, one of the things, one of my ambitions is to write a commentary of the New Testament for preachers and uh, leaders and workers. And so, so far I've completed Matthew and Luke and Acts, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and I got a bit fed up with the New Testament, so I did a couple of sections on Psalms. So uh, here is one of the books that I've written on Ephesians. It's called Far Above All. And this is how it works. Uh, here is the text, like most commentaries. And here are my notes on those texts, along with uh, quotes from about the 20 books that I studied to, on this. And then over here, there are, uh, on this occasion, five sermons from those four verses. 
or five applications of those verses. And so if you're a preacher, hey, you've just struck gold. Uh, because I know you're busy. Because I know you've got books in your library that when you open, you think, dear me, what's all this about? Well, what I did is I, re I read the book and thought, I can extract what is valuable to a preacher and condense it for you. So uh, there you go. If you're not a preacher, here is a great daily devotional. Here is, you know, five verses to read. Here is the comments. And here are applications to it. So uh, these books are $10 each. They don't go to my retirement fund. Uh, actually, the proceeds go to our church planting program in Poland. Over the last uh, 11 years, Denise and I have been involved in that nation, and we've been able to partner with their leaders to plant 10 new churches in Poland. They're very exciting. And so there at the back, um, we have to take cash. We don't have credit card facilities. I will accept crayfish <laughs> or camembert cheese, uh, you know, like that. So... So maybe you'd like to have a look at those there on the table there. And uh, I've also written a couple of children's books. This is the story of Daniel in the lion's den, told by the five lions. There was Larry, Lenny, Laurie, Linus, and Lulu. Uh, and th this is uh, what happened when an angel came and interrupted their dinner. So it's written for primary age children. It's uh, fully illustrated, fully, uh, it's a great little story. The proceeds of these books, and there are two of them, one's on the camels that, that brought um, the wise men to Bethlehem, and the proceeds of this supports our school in Bolivia. Uh, the Heights Church has a school in Bolivia, some 30 kids in a poverty-stricken situation that we're educating and um, uh, helping. So uh, if you've got grandkids or kids or you want to give, out, give them out to your um, Sunday school or your children's program, th these are $5 each. So my wife will do a deal with you. So, uh, you know, if, if you want to buy the whole set of those, she'll offer you a, a Wednesday deal. So there you go. All right, 10 minutes.
So you can have